Hey, how's it going? It's Dan Bailey from the Drum Q&A podcast. Uh, this is episode three of my podcast, and I believe it's also going to run on the Big Fat Snare Drum podcast channel. So uh, we're going to run it concurrently there, do a little bit of a podcast takeover, I guess. Uh, and what I do here is I take questions from my Instagram, which is at DRichardBailey, uh, and I answer them kind of in long form uh, here. So let's go ahead and get to question number one. What's it like working with a frontman who's also a drummer? Well, uh, I've, I've been lucky enough to do it a couple times. Uh, obviously, right now, I'm, I'm the drummer for Father John Misty, and uh, Josh, you know, is quite the drummer himself. Uh, has has a lot of facility on the instrument and has a lot of great ideas, and, and obviously, you know, being such a good songwriter, has very good musical ideas on the, on the drum kit and stuff. And uh, Russ, when I played with Everest, uh, the singer Russ has played, man, with the Wallflowers and Elliot Smith and a bunch of others. He's, he's an unbelievable drummer, too. Um, and then, you know, I've been, on, I've been asked to go on tour with bands where, like, maybe somebody else in the band, uh, a band member played drums on it, but that's not their main instrument. So they, they're on the tour, but they're not playing drums. So I have to kind of, you know, go through them to come, with ideas, come up with ideas and stuff. Uh, personally, I, I could see where if somebody was a, uh, real control freak, it could be really annoying. Um, luckily that hasn't been my experience. Uh, and I found that most songwriters who are drummers have brought me in to do kind of my thing and have, and give me a level of trust and, uh, just, you know, made, made their songs available for me to interpret and, and, you know, kind of do my thing. And, uh, I, I, I love working with, with songwriters who are drummers because not only do they have a vocabulary for, you know, what they want. Cause obviously, you know, unfortunately it turns into a lot of mouth drums, you know, when you, you know, you might be in the studio and, and a songwriter might have an idea, but they don't play the instrument. So they don't, you know, have the best tool set for, for being able to, uh, uh, you know, inform you of what they want the, what they're thinking, you know? Um, whereas, you know, obviously someone who plays the instrument can, can either, can give you a real, real nice beatbox most times, or, uh, or obviously can go in and just sit down and kind of play, Hey, I was thinking something like this and play a couple bars and like point me in the right direction. Um, but I, I love it because it gives you, you know, the communication is obviously there in a way that it can't be otherwise. And, uh, it, it feels like it's easier to get something we, we all like, and it's, uh, you know, easier to, to replicate that live and, and know that the, the artist likes what you're doing, because if they didn't, they would have something to say about it. Um, so yeah, I, I look forward anytime I get to work with a songwriter who plays, plays drums or, or has played on their record and I'm going to tour it or something. I think it's, it's great. Um, if the, if the person was hiring you purely because, you know, we all know those people that if they could clone themselves, they would just be the four members of the band. And there are the rare people who are talented enough to do that and more power to them. I'm, I'm not, I, I can hack around on some other instruments, but it's, you know, drums is my main thing. Um, I, I could see where it could be really troublesome with someone wanting you to play like verbatim parts that they came up with. And I don't know that I would be the right guy to handle or to, to hire to handle that. Uh, but in the case of, you know, they, they kind of give you some leeway and let you, let you work. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of that and, and look forward to doing it more. All right. Question two, uh, when is it time to give up the dream? Like, wow. Okay. Also, um, 
I mean, given that the world's entertainment industry is on pause, so it's you know it's not even up to us to uh, to walk away or not. There's just nothing going on. Um, I would say maybe first reassess what your picture of success is. Um, obviously, you know, being being in a band that's you know being a band member that's on a recording contract and having a record that does well. Uh, you know, that, that's one, one line of success to this. Uh, then there's, you know, are you chasing being a hired gun? Uh, are you chasing being just a studio musician? Um, a hired gun, sorry, being like a live sideman player for a tour is how I'm phrasing that. Um, like, what is it you want your, what, when you picture your success, what does that look like? Um, if it is, I'm going to play drums and make millions of dollars. Uh, if it hasn't happened at some point, yes, it would be time to give up that dream <laughs> or just, you know, change your, your perception or what your, your, you know, move the, move the goalposts a little bit to, to maybe a little more normal situation. If you're saying, is it time to give up the dream of chasing playing drums for money or play, being a musician for money to pay your bills with it? Right. Um, I mean, that looks different for everybody. What's your overhead every month? What's your family situation? Do you got kids? Are you married? Are you in a long-term relationship? Uh, like, are, are, you know, are you in the middle of going to school? Have, have you paused and thinking about going back? Like, what, what's, you know, you got to look at your particular circumstance. Um, and I would say that there's zero, especially in today's climate, there is zero shame in having a day gig in addition to trying to play music. Um, when people have these kind of all or nothing, you know, if I'm not only doing music for money, then I failed. It's like, well, I, I love, you know, that I have friends that come off a tour and have, have found like a, a really flexible kind of side gig that they can either, maybe they can even do from the road on a laptop or when they get home, they can punch in and do a little bit of stuff, you know, and, and then when they have to leave next week to go back on the tour, they can walk away from the job and come back. Um, Man, if there's any kind of situation like that where you can you can find something flexible that you like doing and maybe it's a good hang and it's you know just something to fill the time and it'll help you pay the bills, I, I think that just in general as the, as I you know go further into my adulthood, I start to see the value of having multiple streams of income and not pigeon pigeonholing yourself into one thing too hard. So I would say that I, maybe I'm reading into this question, but this question strikes me that it has the energy of. Oh man, it's not happening for me. I'm not on the cover of Modern Drummer yet. Is is it time to give it up? First of all, as if being on the cover of Modern Drummer is a you know a signifier of anything at this point. Um, what I would no offense to Modern Drummer, I'm not going to edit that. Just magazines. What we what we think are important at 12 or 13 has li so little to do with what actual success looks like in the industry. More power to them. Love publications. Uh, you know, worked with them before. Fantastic drum, fantastic drumhead, fantastic. All good. That is not a knock. Just that talking as we talk about wanting to reshape your your thing. You know, I I think as a kid I was I was thinking like, you know, in high school I was a big Dave Matthews Band fan because who isn't if you went to the high school in the late '90s, right? And it was like, man, Carter gets to do whatever he wants. He's this giant drum kit, and I see him on advertisements, and man, he's such a cool player. And oh, he's like. Man, he's just like controlling the whole band and like, wow, what do I do to get a signature model, you know, snare drum or whatever it is? And how do I get on the cover of magazines and how do I become a millionaire doing this? And obviously that's, you know, 
very similar to like maybe an athlete, you know, maybe you're a basketball player and you're going like, you're really good in high school and you're like, man, I'm going to go pro. And then you get to college and you realize, oh man, there's a lot of guys better than me. And then you get out of college and you start trying to play professional. Oh man, there's really a lot of guys better than me. Um, there's such a, just a, a wide range of what your path can look like, what success can look like. For me, man, I just like doing things I like and I get value from. And if I'm able to pay my bills with it, that's great. At some point, there might be a nine to five involved in this for me, and that's totally fine. And I, I won't look for that because I've failed at playing. I will look at that because my life situation may have changed, and I will need the stability. I will need to get off the road at some point. I will need to have a more regimented for for family life reasons. I just need to be around. Maybe you know who knows what the future holds. But anyone who would like look down on somebody because they they have a day gig, you know, and, and then they're also working to, to be, you know, like playing on the weekends or like doing recording stuff or I, man, success, you, you have to have your own picture of what success is. And then you, that has to be your North star and you aim for it. For me, I like doing this. I like talking drums. I like talking recording. I like hanging out with musicians. I like making music. So anything I do peripherally related to that is a win for me. So when it's time to give up the dream is it's like, well, you know, maybe it's not time to give up the dream. Maybe it's time to, to kind of better quantify what the dream is, or maybe just like kind of change what the dream is a little bit. Um, because you know, everyone has different life circumstances, family circumstances, financial circumstances. Uh, the playing field is not equal for everybody. Uh, it just, that's the way of the world, unfortunately. So, you have to have your own personal version of success. You can't be chasing what other people think success is or be concerned with what other people think success is. You have to like choose a target, aim for it and, and just follow it relentlessly until it stopped making sense and then pick a new target and do that. There's, there's no shame in like realizing that you have to self-examine and maybe change your outlook a little bit. I, I, so I would say, whereas this is, you know, this question could be very dark as far as when is it time to give it up? Like, oh, I've failed or something. No. Maybe that version of the dream isn't going to happen. So find the version that does click all the boxes. Man, touring isn't for everybody. Uh, recording all the time isn't for everybody. Sitting by your phone waiting for it to ring when you haven't worked in three weeks isn't for everybody. Uh, it, it takes a mental toll. It does not give you the kind of stability you can otherwise have. Uh, so there, there is no grass is greener situation. I'm sure, you know, I mean, I've in through this pandemic, I've had the thought several times of, man, I wish I had a day job on top of this, or man, I wish I would have finished my degree just to have it in the back pocket. It, so even if you, you look at maybe some professional players you see and think like, oh man, they have it figured out. No, man, we all have text conversations with each other about how rough this is and how bad a month it is, or how we're on a tour we don't like, you know, whatever it is, those conversations amongst those of us lucky enough to do it happen. So just know that you're like, it's not like you're going to cross some finish line and then everything's going to be great. Uh, there's always, every circumstance comes with his, its set of problems and, and positives and just keeping that in, in context, uh, uh, you know, and what that means for you uh, would be what I would say about that. Just, just again, figure out what the dream actually looks like because I think a lot of us chase quote unquote the dream and it's this like amorphous vague thing. It's like, no, what would you actually like to do? I'd love to play drums in a band. Okay, great. Now you have something to work towards. That's, that's great. So just, you can't, 
you can't know if you've achieved the dream if you don't know what you're looking for. So solidify what the dream is before worrying about whether or not it's time to give it up. How do I come up with drum parts in the studio? Uh, I, I always like to work backwards from this because obviously some songs just kind of, it's very obvious what, you know, what needs to be there. So you don't have to think about it too much. But some some songs are very open-ended and could be any number of things. You know, maybe you could play in eight different styles and it might totally work, but obviously it's going to change the direction of the song. But some songs are very open to interpretation and, and a lot of things can fit on it. So I just like to, I just work backbeat. I keep it dumb. Like, all right, where's the, or I'm sorry, not backbeat, backwards, because I look for the backbeat. I go like, okay, where's the backbeat on the song? Is it going to be two and four? Cool. Now I know it's in that lane. And I know what to do with that. Okay, now what's the kick pattern? Cool. Now you have a kick. Now you know your, where your kick and snare goes. That's eighty-five percent of the job. Okay, is it eighth notes? Are we talking hats? Are we gonna, you know, is it eighths? Is it sixteenths? Is it quarters? Are we gonna program some electronic hats? And I'm just gonna be playing kick and snare, or is it just kick and snare? And I'm gonna put a shaker that's gonna do that part. You know, like work backwards. Try to nail it down by going. Now I know what the snare does. I know what the kick does. Now I know, oh, they want to build going to the chorus. Okay, I know what that does. You know, like you can, you can, if you're feeling like you're running into, you know, you're banging your head on the wall and you can't find ideas, just start, keep it simple. Start easy. Where does the snare drum go? Where does the kick drum go? Once you get those two things, it, most everything takes care of itself in uh, the music I ever work on, you know. Okay, what's the deal with overhead mic height in relation to the kit? Uh, when to go high, when to go low. Um, you know, with anything mic placement-wise, uh, obviously you, you want your pair of overheads to be the same distance from the snare. So measure, get a mic cable. I talked about this in my classes. Get a mic cable, get a piece of string, get a rope, whatever. Two sticks, even if it's really close. And just make sure your your overheads are within reason the same distance because that's that obviously creates all kind of phase and flam problems and stuff. Um for me, I just kind of set it and forget it. I don't, uh, my overheads don't move around much, but, and I also don't have, I'm not one of those guys who goes, I, I want my overheads, you know, 40 inches from the snare drum, nothing like that. Just, you know, uh, microphones, I always think about trying to find the place in the room where the drums sound good, you know, with your ears. So if I talk about this, in my classes again, like if, if you have a friend or somebody who plays drums, you know, like have them come over to your space and have them play your drums and walk around your room and go like, that's, that's how I find room mic placements all the time is I'll have somebody play the drums and go like, well, oh, they sound really nice right here. I'm going to try room mic right here, you know? Um, but with, yeah, with overheads, obviously if you're further back, we'll give you a better picture of the whole kit. Tighter will give you more specifically, they'll become cymbal mics and less overheads. Uh, and on something like super modern, Symbol mics might be exactly what you need. You might need some rejection from, uh, you know, from the, you don't want so much toms and snare drum and stuff in it. You want them to be specifically cymbals. I'm always looking for a pretty decent kit picture, you know, like overall. So I'm, I'm trying to get a whole picture where what I'm always aiming for with my overhead sound is I, I want it to sound like a full drum kit only being a kick in and overheads. And then everything else is going to come up underneath and fill it in. But if you can make things sound like a drum kit with three microphones or two microphones, then anything else you add is going to just enhance and make it sound better. 
Whereas like if it sounds a little thin or like any one element of the drum kit is sticking up too sticking out too much, then I would say that's a time to reassess where you have your overhead mics and just try other placements. There's again my you know you'll hear me say it a million times is if it sounds right it is right. So just try stuff to sound you know use your ears. So one thing will sound better than the other and do the thing that sounds better. It sounds dumb and a lot of people will teach you all these you know just get you in the in the weeds of all this minutia about setting microphones. It's like man just have somebody play the kit <laughs> just find out where it sounds good. Put your mics there. Most of that, if the drums sound good, if you sound good, the microphone's going to pick up something that sounds good. You're going to be fine. Uh, so don't don't lose too much sleep thinking about that too much. Just just the only thing that matters is that they're evenly spaced to each other. What's the difference between being a hired gun and a band member? Uh, Obviously, I don't think we're talking about a band member as far as a band member the way that John Bonham was a band member in Led Zeppelin, where he's literally a fourth of the band, and he has a fourth of the say and gets a fourth of the money, et cetera, et cetera. What I gather is, uh, what I would consider being a hired gun is when I'm in a pickup band, maybe like someone's playing one ta- you know gig in town, uh, and they have to put it, uh, I, you know, a couple years ago I did some, some press stuff with First Aid Kit, and... They have a band of you know Swedish guys and and they're awesome and we've you know seen them at festivals and stuff. Their band's incredible, but they were coming over to do like one promo thing and it didn't make sense to fly their band in from Europe to come to L.A. So they hired a local steel player and, a, and me and you know some local guys, and that's what I think of being a hired gun is you're there to do a job. You're, it's like very tradesman. I'm there. I'm a plumber there to fix a sink. When it's done, I'm good. Have a good day. Gig was super fun. See you guys around. High five. Let's get out. Um, what I would say band member in this context is my situation with Father John Misty, which is we found a chemistry that works. Uh, it's it's a family situation at this point. And while obviously the gig is, it's Josh's gig, what Josh says goes, we're all there to facilitate his vision into the tour, into the records. That's We are there to, to help Josh do his thing. The, the main difference, I mean, I, I treat them, it's, it's a respect and it's a professionalism thing either way, but I, I, if you live in the house, you take better care of it. If you're renting it or if you're Airbnb in it, you might leave some dirty dishes in the sink. You know what I'm saying? So I, you, you just, you know, take care of, uh, take care of your main thing. Know what the main, you know, keep the main thing, the main thing. It's, it's, it's a solo artist and you're there to support. If you're lucky enough to be on a long-term thing, just appreciate it because it may not always be there. And, you know, so just just appreciate it. Just in general, again, like all things, professionalism gets you, you know, and being a good person gets you a long way. How much brain power do I put into finances when deciding to take a gig? I, someone told me really early on about the rule of three, and it's the best, it's the single best piece of music advice I've ever gotten in my life. The rule of three being a gig has to have one, it's got to be the money, two, the hang, so the people on it, or three, the tunes. So you can go do a, a gig where like, oh man, my buddies are in the band, and the man, the check is cool, that's great. I don't really care about the music either way, it's not for me. But you can totally go do that tour and have a good time, and have a, have a ton of fun. Or maybe like, man, the money's great, and the tunes are, I love the band, the tunes are incredible. The hang's a little rough, maybe the artist is a little rough to work with or something, but... 
because the you know the bread's there and the and the you know the tunes if you, if you think the music's really important and it speaks to you or whatever you're going to have a good time or most often the money is a little lacking but it's about the hang and the and the tunes those are where honestly where I've had the most fun on tour uh, I I luckily and, you know, the final piece of advice being if you find all three, you never leave that gig. Never leave it. Because there are so few of those gigs. If you happen to have one, you never give that up. Uh, but most of the most fun I've ever had on tours is when it's like my buddies and I really like the tunes. But, you know, like maybe we're playing small places and there's not a lot of money or something. But the hang makes it worth it, you know. Uh, yeah, I, the rule of three... Again, money, hang, tunes. I I won't take a gig if it's if it's one of the three. I've taken too many things that had a good payday, uh, but I hated doing them and I hated what they were and I didn't know anybody on them and it was it was kind of isolationy. You know, you kind of feel like you're there by yourself and that wasn't fun. So I won't do those anymore. Um, it's got to be two of the three. And even amongst the gigs that are two of three, the best version of, honestly, the best version of the two out of three gig is the one where the money's not so great, but the, the tunes are really good and the, and the guys are awesome. Or, you know, the, the folks on the gig are very good, you know. But just as a side point, uh, I had a, a real close buddy of mine mention to me in my further, I, I have so many verbal tics. I say dude as much as any person ever alive. I say folks a lot. And I, I default to guys because, you know, musicians it's it tends to be a, a male dominated you know thing but in the spirit of in the spirit of being more inclusive and I think we all do our part I'm I'm trying to break myself of using guys as much as I do so I'm trying to move to folks y'all everybody people you know other other qualifiers that are more inclusive and that's not to kowtow to some bs you know politically correctness that is to respect and appreciate everyone trying to do this job so if you, just a, just a little side note, if you hear me using any nomenclature like that, that is completely accidental and I'm working to remove it from my uh, lexicon as we're, we're going forward. What's the deal with endorsements? Do they matter? Why do some drummers have them and others don't? All right. Uh, I've been putting this one off for a little bit. Uh, this is a... This is a how do you? This is a like the floor is lava one. This is how I don't step on toes because I have some relationships with some companies and I don't with some others. And uh, um, first of all, I think we need to define some terms. So, an endorsement. This isn't skateboarding. There are no sponsorships, as far as I'm aware, at least. Uh, this is not about a company. I don't think in today's day and age, and for maybe a decade there's been any money changing hands as far as who plays what drums. Now, of course, if you're Chad Smith and you have a signature snare drum with Pearl, per unit sold, you get a royalty check because they're selling your likeness and your name. Like, that's that's one thing. That's Signature models are a whole other thing. But for those of us who don't have those, and it's just about having a relationship with a company, as in, it's, it is, you are not an endorsee. That is not a term. That is not a term that has any legal significance or significance otherwise. A player endorses a product. I love Vic Firth sticks. They're my favorite sticks. I endorse Vic Firth. Vic Firth does not love my playing and put a seal of approval on my playing. They totally might. They, they totally, Joe and Ben may totally love me over there. But <laughs> the, the, 
the point is the company is not going like Dan is our guy. No, it is Dan uses these sticks because he likes them. So first of all, I think a, a lot of people's approach to endorsements puts, puts the power with the company and that's not who it is. It's with the artist. The artist is saying, I like these sticks and because people like my playing, maybe I'm going to help you sell more sticks. That's how, that's the relationship. And in return for them getting to use a person who uses their sticks in promotional materials and all that stuff, they're going to give them sticks to tour with or, or greatly discounted prices on sticks to where they're like three bucks a pair or whatever it is. So that's the return. It's they get to say, Hey, this drummer, everybody likes uses our stuff. And in return, the drummer gets free sticks. That's, that's the deal. So when you see like a company or, or a, uh, something we, you know, this person, this endorsee, that's, it's an endorser. They endorse your product. The company does not endorse the drummer. So that's first of all. Second of all, the endorsements that make the most sense to me are sticks and heads because, and symbols to a lesser extent, but sticks and heads because they're perishable items. You know, you don't, you can't play, you can play a drum kit literally forever if you take care of it. Uh, drumsticks, you're going to, obviously they wear out. That's the point. You know, like they're, they're disposable. If you, if they weren't, your arm would, you know, something's going to break. You're hitting a wood thing against a metal thing. Something's going to break. If it wasn't the stick, it'd be your arm. So if you're breaking sticks, totally fine. Anyways, sticks and heads obviously make sense because they're, you know, if you're on the road and you're having to buy heads out of pocket, that's, that's an expense for, for doing the, doing, you know, business. And what if you're in, you know, Scotland, you know, you have a day off in Edinburgh and you're trying to chase down a 24 inch, you know, EMAD two or, you know, whatever thing you're after, they, it may not be able to be found. So having a relationship with a company that can ship you stuff, who can help you source parts if you need it, who can get with a local uh, dealer and go like, Hey, there's actually a drum store in Glasgow, your next date, they'll have it. We can have a runner, bring it over to you, you know, whatever. Having those relationships because time on the road, it's a business, you know, like the, the, the tour needs certain things to happen. So having relationships for perishable items is incredibly important. Symbols, you know, obviously you may break a symbol and have to have one overnighted in or have a, you know, have them send you a backup set of symbols or something, you know. So perishable items, endorsements make a ton of sense for me. Uh, and obviously this is, this is my experience. Um, I've only ever had one actual physical on contract endorsement. I, I played Tama drums from what, 2015 to late 17 or 18? Uh, we started touring and doing a lot of one-offs where we had to rent drums. Because so when you tour, just, just backstory, when you tour, when you're in a big band, obviously your full pack, your full drum kit, cases, everything, go everywhere you go. Like U2 does not play rental gear. U2 has their back line all the time. When you're in a band our size, I would say we're on our back line 75% of the time, because luckily we're it, the finances make sense to be able to ship our stuff, you know, freighted around the world before we get there and stuff. Um, when you're doing say festivals or when you're a younger band where the, the budgets aren't, you know, whatever, you're going to end up playing a lot of rental gear, a lot of borrowed gear, you know, stuff like that. In that case, we were doing a lot of that in those, those years. We're doing a ton of festivals. We were, you know, flying, you know, play a show, wake up the next morning, fly to another festival, play that show, wake up the next morning, fly, and your gear just can't get there fast enough. So you have to play, you call up SIR or center staging or whatever other backline company and go, hey, do you have a DW 20-inch bass drum, 12, 14 toms, and these, this hardware? 
you know, yeah, you do great. It's this much. Okay. Awesome. Um, and that, uh, that's obviously a band touring expense, but if you have a relationship with say DW, then you go, Hey DW, I'm going to be in Barcelona playing Primavera next year. Uh, or, you know, in, in two months, we need a drum kit. We need to source a drum kit for that one off. And they'll go, yeah, yeah, totally. We have a, you know, whatever backline company is in, in Barcelona. They have, they totally have four of our drum kits. What do you need? We'll be in touch. And so they can help you source drums. And obviously, again, you play their product in front of people. So it's going to be on live stream. It's going to be on video. It's going to be, you know, people in the crowd with their eyeballs seeing a DW sticker on that front head. Uh, and in exchange for that, they they have a, a deal with the backline company to where you do not pay for the rental of that drum kit. You pay like a pickup and drop off fee. That's it. But you don't have to pay the 250 bucks or 300 bucks. It, it costs to rent that drum kit that day. So endorsements. When I see people going like these drums are the only good drums and everything else sucks. That's the sign of some, some significant BS because honestly, like everybody makes good stuff. Like any there's, I could find stuff I like from most any company, uh, and most every company have really good people working for them, right? Um, so it's all about relationships and it's all about the, the gear and, and does it fit your situation at the time. So uh, we got done with the, the Pure Comedy record, right? And that record was recorded on an old Gretchen, an old Camco. Uh, and that's the vibe. And we were trying to, so when we got time to tour, we were trying to replicate that sound, right? That sound is not the sound of a, of a Tama starred walnut, which are drums I love, but are not appropriate. They're a very pretty hi-fi modern drum and they don't have a, the most vibe, but they're, I mean, on a pop gig, they would crush. They're, they're so good. They're just a little too pure for what we were trying to get sound wise. And so then I tried going to some vintage drum kits and I, I landed on, I had Q drum, uh, build me a, basically a Rogers clone drum kit. And that worked out. And we used that for several years on the road. It didn't sound great. That's not to say I have a, I have a relationship with Q because I know the guys, you know, I know the, the folks over there, uh, Jeremy and Max and Roger and Elon and all that. And they're, they're great guys. And I love their drums. And I just bought one as a customer because I, I like the, I like them and I like to support them. And just used them. I'm not on the website anywhere. I, I played CNC for a while. I'm, I was never on the website. I was never an artist. Like, I find that I chase sound so much that I know it about myself that I shouldn't have endorsements because I get the wandering eye when it comes to drums all the time. You know, it's I hear something that is really cool or I get in my head that like, man, wouldn't an old Gretsch be incredible on this tour? And obviously, you know, but if I was a Tama artist, I'm, I'm not able to do that. So, uh the good and bad is that having somebody in your in your corner to support you and, and, and back you up when you need product and you need gear and stuff, that's incredible. Someone looking out for you on the road, that's invaluable and can't be overstated. Um, but know that that comes with the, the, the inverse of that is that it comes with you need to be loyal to that company and don't be shown, don't take pictures using other people's gear, don't talk about other people's gear, you know, like be respectful of, of your relationship with the company. Uh, the other thing I see with endorsements and I totally was this guy the same way. I mean, earlier in this podcast, I talked about like, man, if I get my, if I'm on the cover of modern drummer or whatever, um, the same, the same thing with, I saw a drum endorsement as a seal of approval or like a, a road marker that my career was going well. And 
there's a lot of guys with drum endorsements who sit at home and there's a lot of guys who work more than anyone you've ever heard of that don't have a drum endorsement. So those things are not connected. Uh, a lot of the time, unfortunately it, it, the reason I don't have one is because it, it comes, it can come across as vanity and I don't like that. I, I don't like it being like, Oh, you know, you know what I have and then list what I, I that, that strikes me wrong. And I always feel weird about that. I would rather just have friendly relationships with people who are making good instruments. The 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 formal endorsement is is something that doesn't honestly interest me that much, uh, because it it locks you into to a set of gear and and I'm I'm always looking for new stuff and it's 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 tough you know, tough to do that and maintain a relationship with a with a company and not have people bummed out. Okay, last one. Can you talk about how much you consciously think about time and pulse when playing or listening to music? Um, like all things, it's usually better when you don't even think about it. You know, um, when you listen to a track that feels really good, you know, say like, I'm just going to throw out a name, like you listen to any Al Jackson Jr. track, right? I'm never thinking about like, Oh, he's he's behind or he's ahead. It's just like, man, it feels good, and I, so I think that when things are going well, I'm honestly not thinking about it at all, and it tends to be one of those things that the more you focus on your feel or time or like what or another player's feel or time, you start to hear all the little minutia that other people can't, especially in your own playing. You start to focus on on things and make little things into big things, and the more you can the more fluid and kind of out of your own head your playing can be, the better it's going to be, the better your time is going to be. Because like anything, you know, you ever been driving and, you know, especially when you were starting driving, right? And like driving between the lines was, was really tough. You ever notice when you're driving and you really pay attention to staying between the lines, how hard it becomes. Whereas if you're just looking down the road, just letting the car drive itself, piece of cake. That's how I look at metronomes. That's how I look at pulse. That's how I look at feel is like, you certainly can tell when it's not happening, but when it is happening, you kind of don't even notice that it's there. So I'm always trying to get, you know, people would say, you know, people who study the, the mind and stuff would say, you're trying to get to a flow state. We've all had those gigs where, you know, you'll like start song one and then you like wake up and it's the middle of song six and you're just, it's kind of effortless and it's just happening. That's the best, that's what I'm chasing every gig is to be so prepared and to feel so good that you don't think about all the little, the mechanical stuff. And obviously that, that requires you doing your homework on the front end. you got to get your playing to where it needs to be. And you need to know the material the way you need to. You know, that way you should to be able to have full control over the material. And not wondering what happens next in the song or did I miss the bridge. You know, whatever. Just have a grasp of the material and just play music and stop thinking about all the all the little stuff, not only will you have more fun, I guarantee your performance will be better. So that's it for episode three. Hope, uh, hope you all enjoyed it and uh, look forward to doing another uh, again next week. Have a good week.